0: This is an ABC podcast. This is Baby Talk Podcast with Penny Johnston. Not many people deliberately set out to become a single parent. It is a difficult road to travel. All the responsibility and financial burden, often coming on top of the difficulty of ending what you thought was going to be a happily ever after relationship. Of course there are brave exceptions in the single parenting world where people make a conscious decision to become a solo parent, but very often it's a situation that arises because of a relationship breakdown. And really, should we be surprised? Pregnancy and early parenthood are very difficult times, and if your relationship wasn't strong to start with, it's almost impossible to find an excuse to stay together especially when so many emotions are running high. You can't really spend the rest of your
1: life trying to hide what's going on from
0: your children.
1: I say they're flexing the muscle, they're getting match fit for life because stuff's going to come at them we all know that. Life's going to have its own struggles. Things are going to happen. You know, you can shield them all you like, but our job is not to shield our kids from the fire. It's to walk them through it and show them that they can come out the other side. And so I've been very conscious of that the whole time while not collapsing in front of them. Also just saying to them, look, I'm feeling a bit sad today or whatever.
0: Jacinta Tynum was an unwilling recruit to the single mothers club herself but her journey through the process gave her the inspiration to help other women in a similar situation and she reminds us that single parent households are the fastest growing family group in Australia. Jacinta it's great to talk to you again and I suspect not so many women wish to join you in this space but you're trying to show that being a single parent isn't as bad as you would imagine
1: that's the whole point of me writing the book Penny because I think that single mothers still suffer this stigma of being People look upon single mothers as a place that's lacking. That you know, it's a it's a role you certainly wouldn't want to have. And there's very much, even though the stigma is nothing like what it was. Thank goodness, a generation ago, when single mothers were called fallen women or illegitimate children, and and they were the children were from broken homes. That's if they had babies without being married, of course. It's nothing like that. But there's still this kind of sense that something's missing. We're fed the narrative very much that there's only one possible storyline, and that is a nuclear family with two parents. And if you don't have that, you've done something wrong. There's a kind of shame around it. And that's not what I see. The single mothers I know and the many I interviewed for the book, I interviewed dozens of single mums for the book, they are the most capable, resourceful They're superhuman, actually, uh, warrior women that you'll ever meet. And they're the ones who've been through the fire.
0: Jacinta, I'm amazed at the stories that you collected and so many women who had to embrace this singlehood whilst they were pregnant or with
1: really tiny babies. I oh, know. It's just a, such a difficult time. Imagine doing that with, without having another adult in the house. But, of course, it would be incredibly freeing in some circumstances. I think what you see is, what I noticed is, there's a lot of separation and divorce when kids are a little bit older they call it the post hsc divorce it's actually a thing and i think many women listening would be nodding their heads at that that they kind of hang in there for the kids and think "Well, just get them through this period of their lives and then they're free to make that choice to end the relationship if it's not a healthy one but you also see it a lot when kids are really young babies and really small toddlers and i think that's obvious too why that happens because as we all know, that's when the cracks start to appear in a relationship when there's small children around. It's such high stakes, such high pressure. And I know, again, everyone would be nodding listening to this. Now, you can push through that, and many people think that that it's all over and then they get through that time and they've survived it but if there are any issues there that's when they're going to show and so a lot of women get to that point where they just think i'm better off on my own than being in this situation and also having a child and that's one of the reasons i wrote this book because having a child is increases the your stakes and you think i can put up with this for myself, but I'm not putting up with this for my child. And so that's when they might either make a decision to end the marriage or relationship or the other, other parent does or it's mutual, but that's when a lot of it happens. And so, yeah, you see these women in incredible situations raising these kids on their own and there's one woman I remember speaking to Melissa and she was just talking about the logistics of having she had one child in the bath and then the the baby was on the floor she had to put the baby on the floor so she could not take her eyes off the one in the bath and then you're at the beach and you've got one in the waves and the other one's behind you and you can't not look at either of them because the one behind you could wander off and the one in the water could go under a wave and there's all those logistics that people just don't think of
0: it's so hard but then there is the joy of some women who do it by choice that you know set out from day one without a partner
1: oh they they're just extraordinary i have so much respect for single mothers by choice and i interviewed a few for the book of course and i just think they're incredible to to have that desire to want to be a mum so much that you would set out there from the Mm get-go doing it on your own I think it's incredibly brave and all of the women I spoke to had that period of where they think life hasn't gone the way that I planned it and obviously we know with divorcees and people who are separated that's we know how that happens and obviously for widows but single mothers by choice were really the ones I interviewed were really open about that too saying that look it's not plan a it's not what I had in mind. But then to still find the resolve within themselves to do it, it's just extraordinary.
0: I say good on them.
1: But the single mothers are... F-
0: fairly new phenomena because up until fairly recently if you were having a baby out of wedlock or you did anything to stay in a, a marriage no matter how bad it was because society just really
1: came down hard on you. Yes I know even that expression as we say out of wedlock <laughs> I mentioned before your children were actually called illegitimate oh. if you had a baby outside of marriage and as we know it was only a generation ago which I just find extraordinary that if you did have a baby out of wedlock I should stop using that expression it's so ridiculous yes. but if you had a baby by yourself, you were well it wasn't by yourself let's face that too. but if <laughs> you had a baby a and the man wasn't sticking around then often your babies were taken from you and people talk a lot about well, we not people talk a lot it was a whole thing forced adoption obviously uh, just a generation ago and if not forced very much coerced into it and then and the women who did keep their babies it was really tough there there were no government benefits unless you were an abandoned mother that's what they called them mm. so unless the husband actually left if you chose to leave your marriage you're weren't even allowed to keep the kids it's only if he abandoned you and then there was some sort of government allowance and widows of course that was the exception the only way you could be a single mother and not be looked out looked down upon in society again, a generation ago, which is just extraordinary, was if your husband died. So, yeah, and obviously the, the science wasn't there to be a single mother by choice. So it really, there's been a huge influx in single motherhood in, in the past few decades, and they, they are, well, single-parent families are the fastest-growing family group in Australia, and single mothers, it would come as no surprise, are almost 80% of those families. So there is so many more of them. Even though there are so many of them, I guess because it's a fairly
0: new phenomena, there's not that much advice on how to get by. And that's part of what you are tackling in your book, which is the Single mother's Social Club, there is some really practical advice on how to get it together because there's an awful lot riding on you succeeding as a single mother.
1: Yes, I, I did. I wrote this book partly for women to feel seen and validated and heard and so on. But I also wrote it as a resource because there are some great websites, some great Facebook groups, there's podcasts for single mothers, which are all wonderful. And I've listed a lot of those, well, all that I could find in the back of the single mothers' social club, but I couldn't find any books on it. And I love a book, so I I did think that we needed some sort of resource. But a lot of it is also that there's practical advice, but a lot of it is that emotional support, so that you understand what what's going on for you with your with the with the gamut of emotions you're dealing with with single motherhood, no matter how you arrived here, and also how to get your kids through it. So I interviewed a lot. I interviewed dozens of single mothers from separated and divorced, widows, single mothers by choice, but I also interviewed a lot of experts, parenting experts, financial experts and uh also people like divorce coaches and so on, just to try to I wanted people to come away from reading this book with with advice and with wisdom and with practical tools that they could use to get them through this because we need all the support we can get. It is a wonderfully rewarding role to be a single mum but I also don't want to skirt over the the, the struggle and how tough it can be. I think that two things would stand out to me
0: that would be very, very hard as a single mother. The first one is a bit odd, but that loneliness, if you have to share custody, that time
1: without your child would be really difficult to fill. Yeah, that the, the loneliness was. I wrote a whole chapter on loneliness because it was a universal theme amongst all of the single mothers I spoke to. Not surprisingly, but it shows up in in ways you may not expect. So there's the loneliness when your kids are with you. That can be a lonely time because you're the only adult in the house, and you are have no one else to be, the, the term I use is a witness to what your children are doing. So all these wonderful things, you know, when your kids create a piece of artwork or they say something really funny or they just, they've grown a bit taller or they won an award at school, there's no one to turn to and, and share those wonderful milestones with. There's no other adult. So you might have people you can call, but they don't, there's no one that loves your child as much as you that you can just turn to and share that moment but there's also an upside to that, that you get to have that wonderful bond. But the, so that's lonely. But the other loneliness you're talking about is, yeah, if you're a co-parent, when your child goes to their other parent, which I think is, that's absolutely imperative. If it's a functional situation, of course, and in most situations, obviously it's advisable that the children spend time with the other parent if there is one, but it can be absolutely gut-wrenching for the parent who's left behind and I say I used to get really really upset as much as I wanted my kids to spend time with their dad and I'd say I I didn't have kids not to be with them it's not how you set out you don't have children with somebody thinking oh well I'll it's soon I'll be not having them for half the time or whatever whatever period of time it is so while it's something you want for your kids it's it's just it doesn't take away the pain and it can be really hard. So I spoke to lots of women and I shared my own experiences of that. There's one woman, Jo, I remember speaking to who said she used to, I think she might still actually, um, get into her children's beds and smell their pillows so she could inhale their scent when they're not there and she used to just cry. And I leave my kids' toys around always even when they're not there because I think I'm not picking them up because I just want to think that they're not too far away. Hi. And so it oh you now you're going to make me cry because you're taking me back to those early days. Hi. So you have to uh, you have to fill that time. Well, it, at the same time you have to grieve it and sit with it. Don't don't deny your loneliness and the pain, but also you get to a point when you, when you get through all that initial pain and shock when you can start being more practical with that time. And I've got lots of advice in there too on on what to do with those,
0: those lonely hours. Oh, I know. I can just imagine it would be just that would be the thing that would kill me. The second thing that I thought that you wrote about that was really important was not giving your kids the burden of... Carrying your pain, and it's really important. I think my mum, most of the time, was a single parent and really tried very hard to make us not be part of the whole divorce proceedings with my father and
1: not to feel badly about him. So, it's a really hard mix to get right, but I think that if you come back to that place of just knowing that everything, see everything through the filter of your kids, it sounds easier said than done. But it can be done. So just every time you're making a choice about anything or you're about to say something or or, you make, or do a certain thing, you just think through the filter of your kids, is this the right thing for them? Is this going to be beneficial for them? And that might mean, might, might mean making some hard choices too. It doesn't always mean being soft. But you've got to play the long game. When you're a single mother, <laughs> it's the long game. You've got to constantly think of what's best for them in the long run. And I've said to my boys, I said it on the first night I moved out of home and I've said it many times since, I just say, trust me, you know, they don't need to know the details. Just say, Trust me, I've got your backs and uh that's all you can really do for them. It is really important, of course, that you don't burden the kids with your own the pressures and dramas and and struggles and suffering. But at the same time it's a really fine line because you don't want to completely shield it from them either and say, Everything's fine, nothing to see here because <laughs> it's also it's also really beneficial for kids to see that stuff goes on and that Emotions have a beginning, a middle and an end. I always say that to my boys, if they see me upset about something, that this will end and then we can move on. And so then I also encourage them to share their big emotions, which is what I call them, anger, sadness, all those things are valid. And if the kids can get that message now, my gosh, that will hold them so well for the rest of their lives. And I also say to my kids, and there's a lot of advice about this in the book, that The suffering that they're witnessing, but also the change they, well, their own suffering, because change is suffering for kids. Mm. You know, they want things to be the same. And so for their lives being thrown upside down, which is what happens with separation, divorce, widows as well, they, their whole rug is pulled out from under them. But I say they're flexing the muscle. They're getting match fit for life because stuff's going to come at them we all know that life's going to have its own struggles things are going to happen you know you can shield them all you like but our job is not to shield our kids from the fire it's to walk them through it and show them that they can come out the other side and so I've been very conscious of that the whole time while not collapsing in front of them also just saying to them look I'm feeling a bit sad today or whatever this is kind of more so in early days and then they get to see that that's legitimate these these emotions are just as legitimate as the happy ones and that they will pass and so i I, you start to see that in your kids if you teach them that way you start to see it in their own wisdom coming through and i think that single motherhood is can be the making of our kids it's not that they thrive in spite of single motherhood they thrive because of it Mm. and and once we can come to terms with that it also helps us be more accepting of our situation.
0: I know a lot of women might worry a little bit about being a single parent with a little boy. I don't know if that's correct thinking or not. Most of us would assume that we've got the girls covered. But, yeah, do do you think boys miss out with single mums at all?
1: That's uh, such a good question. And I explored that in the book because I have two boys. And Mm. so obviously it's on your mind because, you know, all the research shows boys need male role models and no one's denying that. But there's a few bright lights there for for single mums of boys who are listening to this i interviewed maggie dent for the book actually and she was wonderful because she's written about being a mother of boys she's a she was a single mum of four boys and she's also a, a, a renowned author and parenting expert so she made me feel a lot better when a few things she talked about how the research shows that that kids only need one lighthouse figure she calls it And when she did it, she did all this research herself and something like more than 65% of boys say that their mother is their lighthouse figure. So first of all, we've got this, we can do this. But the other thing is yes, they do need good men in their life. If they've got a father, that's great, but not everybody does or maybe the father's absent or isn't very isn't functional or, or whatever. Isn't up to scratch perhaps for, for as a role model for your children that happens. And so in that case, we need to seek role models outside of our family for our boys. Now that idea also used to freak me out and make me annoyed because I'd think I don't, that's not that's not easy. People would say find role models outside. Oh, thank you. That's that's just just not easy. Excuse me, would you like to be a role model to my child? And so what Maggie said that let let us off the hook with that is she calls about if she calls it collective parenting and I love that idea, it's that actually it's on the community to provide that support for single mothers. They should be the ones, we should be the ones looking out for single mother families and saying, Do you need some help? Would you like me to take your son to kick the footy or I mean that's very sexist, but whatever it is. And then that, and and, it, and they are the ones who should be looking out for where that support is needed and to offer a guiding hand and to be that guy that steps in to be a good role model for your son. So mm. please, anyone listening to this, be that person in the lives of, of single mothers so that we don't have to do all the the searching because I tell you what, that just feels like one more thing to do, <laughs> I have to say. But yes, they do need good male role models and and there are plenty around. There's some really, really good men in the community. So if you're one of those men, look out for those boys who might need a bit of a helping hand. Yeah.
0: And the other thing that stood out for me in the book was actually asking for help. Sometimes people
1: are really willing to help, but they don't know that you need it unless you ask. I oh, know and again it feels like another another burden on a single mum to have to ask for help but I wrote about I put a whole whole chapter in the book about it because it's it is something we need to get good at and actually in the asking if that benefits the person who's who's helping you so I I wrote about it in that context because we think, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to burden somebody else. I don't want to have to ask anyone else to step in. And I'm the biggest, I, uh, the worst offender, I should say, of that. Where I hate asking for help, but the research again shows that when people do help you, they feel better for it. They feel uplifted. That helpers high they get when they help you. And so just allow people to do that. And when you do, you enter this slipstream of reciprocity. When you're helping each other and you also can find ways to, if, if you, if you feel like you want to give back as well, you can find ways to help. So if it's not financial, if you can't afford to do certain things, offer to take someone's child to a football game or have, have kids to the park afterwards or just, fi- you can find ways, you can always find ways to give back, but just find that strength within yourself to say, I need help. I, I need you to take my child or I need, could somebody please uh, just pick something up at the supermarket or, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm. And I'm getting better at it. But again, I look back to this. Can everyone else in the community also offer? Because I have such high regard for people who step in without being asked. And the people that have come to me without being asked and said, I'm doing this for you. That is just, they're just revered in my eyes. And so are. we need more of that.
0: Jacinda, just one last question. I don't know if this one is really a bit hard to answer, but how do you decide to make the plunge? I mean, how do you know when it's better to rip that Band-Aid or stick with it? We are given the fairy tale. I mean, forget about The Handsome Prince, but the fairy tale of having the nuclear family with a mum and a dad and a couple of kids and a cat and a big backyard that is the one that's sold and advertised the hardest and how do you know when it's better to leave
1: than stay? Well everyone's situations are different so I couldn't possibly speak generally about that but all I can say to that is I think that if if a mother decides to enter a relationship, if that's how it plays out, because obviously there are many other scenarios and that I include in this book, but if that's how it ends, then if she's got kids at stake, then you know that it was probably a last resort because we all want that. If you, if you're in a partnership with a child, you, you really give it everything. You, you want that model to work because Let's face it, that is the best model. It is, having two adults in a home raising kids. Just look at the logistics, the sheer logistics of that. It's the best model if it is a functional, loving union and a functional, loving home. But if it's not if that's not what you're providing for your kids then you're best off not to be there because people often say and we hear it all the time i'm staying in this marriage you know mothers women will confide in each other like that won't they i'm staying in this marriage for the kids oh no please don't do that <laughs> that's not the right reason to stay mm. i mean it, there might be a point where that is okay there might be enough love there or whatever i mean that's why every situation's so different but if that's the only reason that is not reason enough to stay because you want a role model for your kids what a good relationship is i remember one of the women i spoke to talked about how she left her marriage because she wanted her daughter to see that she didn't want her daughter to think that this was the model of a good relationship being with somebody that she didn't really love and it was a little bit toxic so she was very brave and left that relationship so that her daughter could see that that's not enough for me yes he's a loving dad he's a great dad but there's no love here between us and that's not what i want for you and so i think when you reach that point you'll know And women know. They know when it's time to go. It's just very hard to do it. Because raising kids on your own is not how it's designed to go. And it's really difficult. But there's also a wonderful, it's a reckoning when it happens. Your life might fall apart. It might feel like everything's thrown upside down. But there is wonderful opportunity for growth. It's an invitation to be the woman that you always were and be the mother you want to be. Single motherhood is such an opportunity. And that's why I wrote the book because I see that in the women I spoke to. And I want other women to see that too, whether you're thinking about single motherhood or whether you're just in it. It is, it's not the, it's not a dark ride. It's a a wonderful growth experience. And I tell you what, every single woman I spoke to said, and I've got a chapter at the end called The Upsides, they all talked about how it being the best decision they ever made and that they would not change a thing.
0: Jacinta Tynan, well-known journalist, columnist and mother of two boys. Her book the Single Mother's Social Club is available at bookstores now and it's a helpful guide to getting through what might be one of the really worst periods of your life. At Baby Talk, we are a weekly podcast about being a parent and you can have this podcast delivered to your device simply by looking for a subscribe button when you find Baby Talk on the ABC Listener app or on iTunes. It's Baby Talk, Just One Word. And if you subscribe, you won't miss an episode like this one where we heard from specialist paediatric dentist Sarah Raphael to hear why you need to look after your baby's teeth. The mouth is pretty hidden away. Like if, if a child had a sore finger to the same degree that many children are walking around with sore teeth, I think we'd all know about it a lot more. But because it's a bit hidden away, it sometimes gets overlooked. It's not you know, something that you see from the outside of, of their appearance. And if a child's had tooth decay from a very early age, it's something they've learned to live with, that discomfort, not being able to handle eating hard or crumbly foods or hot foods or cold foods. And so it's something for these children that have experienced it from sort of almost before they could talk, it's very difficult for them to express what's going on in their mouth. I'm Penny Johnston. I'll see you next time on Baby Talk. ABC Baby Talk is a weekly podcast on ABC Radio, wherever you get your podcasts and on the ABC Listen app. Like us on Facebook to find out as soon as a new episode is ready. Just search for ABC Baby Talk.
1: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.